So um, we're going to uh, shift our attention a little bit um, to the tagline of our Southeast Raleigh table. If you don't know this, um, the tagline of our church is that we are about life-giving life. And yes, we kind of uh, took uh, from that kind of popular phrase that was so, um, so often used on social media, I'm about that life, and we wanted to say we're about that life-giving life. Um, now, as hokey as it may seem to have a tagline, we're about that life-giving life, uh, what we wanted um, to convey as a church community is that there is something incredibly powerful in the ways in which we use the measure of our days, not trying to get to heaven, but how we get heaven into us. That in our living, breathing, waking, ordinary days, that there might be a beauty and a power about how we take up space in this world um, and in our lives. Because this is what um, we also know to be true. You can manufacture a life, i.e. what we sometimes see on Instagram, or you can live a life. You can exist, or you can fully live. And so we wanted to be the kind of community that would betray this notion of we wake up, we drink coffee, we go to work, we snuggle our kids for like 5.3 seconds, we go to bed, we wake up, we drink some coffee, we go to work, we, that there is more to life um, than just kind of going through the motions. And um, just so I can be so clear that there is something about the life that Jesus Christ kind of invites us into that is dif different than like living a nice life, but living a life that is incredibly powerful and beautiful. So recently, um, I did a funeral for um, one of our beloved members here in our church community. He would have been um, 38 um, years old um, quite soon. His birthday would have been coming up. And you know, um, this person's life was exceedingly beautiful. I always say the, the most um, wonderful funerals that I can ever do are the ones when there's too much to say about a person's life, when literally I could stand for hours and just count off the ways in which they loved themselves well and also loved the people around them well. And um, this saint who now sits uh, at the heavenly banquet, um, he was one of those people where we could have just sat for hours to talk about the beauty of his life. But um, what I didn't say at that, um, that service is that for me, it is um, incredibly heart-wrenching whenever I have to officiate a funeral service for someone who is younger than me. Um, it's in those moments that I get real honest with myself. Like, what am I doing with my days? How am I going to take up space in this lifetime? Am I existing or am I living? Death will make you incredibly honest about life. And this particular funeral got me really honest about life. Not that death holds us hostage and begins to fear us into living life, but that in the measure of our days when I can wake up and drink a cup of coffee and hold the people around me that I love and go to work, am I just kind of going through the motions or am I leveraging every ounce of goodness in this world that Jesus has invited me into so that those measure of those days are powerful and majestic and beautiful. And here's the other thing about whenever I have to officiate a funeral. You know when you look, um, you look on a funeral bulletin, they always have the person's birth date, and then they have the day that the person has passed away. And in between the birth date and the day that the person has passed away, there's a little like dash or hyphen in the middle. Whether you were nine years old or 75 years old, that hyphen is not shorter or longer. 
But what we do know about that little dash between your birth date and the day that you take your last breath is that how the person lived those measure of that small little dash, it will matter. There have been times when I have been able to say more for one who is not even nine years old, having to try to come up with a whole lot of things to say for someone who is over 75 years old. Sometimes we go through life and we exist, and sometimes we go through life and we live. We really live. So here's um, this quote that I want to share with you. St. Irenaeus, who was uh, a saint in the early church, says this, that the glory of God is humankind fully alive. That what delights God's heart is for us to really like leverage all of our days, for us to believe that there is goodness and power and majesty in our living, ordinary, everyday day that we have um, on this side. That it's not simply about, oh gosh, one day in eternal life, but gosh, how do we live our lives right now. So over the course of the next few weeks here at our Southeast Raleigh table, if you want to know what we're going to be talking about, we're going to talk about what it is to really live. And what it is to really live when we yoke ourselves to the one who says to us, I am resurrection, I am life. And that we believe that this one who says, I am resurrection and I am life, doesn't just offer up suggestions or blow smoke, but that we believe that Jesus actually invites us into something that Jesus will actually give us. That with our everyday, ordinary, breathing days, we don't have to manufacture a life. We can experience the fullness of life. And with our everyday, ordinary days, that we don't have to just um, exist, but that we can live. So it's about to be lit over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I want to read for you um, a passage of scripture. It's actually kind of our key passage here at Southeast from John um, chapter 10. It's um, the, the fourth gospel in the New Testament. And um, I want to read from uh, verses 7 through 10. But before, I want to let you know that the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the day, they've begun to kind of grumble and complain um, because Jesus has been doing all of these miracles and Jesus has been saying all these things about himself and what he is able to offer um, to, to those who might follow. And so Jesus begins to use this kind of, um, this wonderful tool called a parable. He tells a story about um, sheep and a shepherd and bandits and thieves. And basically Jesus is trying to say, I am, I am like this shepherd who really cares for, who really cares for my sheep. And I'm able to offer them um, something incredibly beautiful. And so in verse uh, 7, this is what Jesus says to um, the Pharisees and to the crowd who are listening to Jesus. It says this, so again, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now, this is the fun part. Jesus is actually um, quietly throwing shade a little bit to the Pharisees, kind of being like, you all are like the thieves and the bandits, saying all these particular things. But Jesus throws shade in a very lovely way. And then in verse 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Basically, I'm the opportunity for life. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I want to read verse 10 again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Or some translations would say to overflow. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, I have words to say, but your words are better. 
So I pray that you will take my words hostage, that you would breathe upon them, and you would make them such that in hearing these words with our ears and with the ears of our hearts, they might take root in us and be reflected beautifully in the measure of our days. So speak to us, God. Whatever it is that you want to say, may you turn down the volume on all the other voices that might seek to distract us in this moment, us thinking about what we need to get done uh, tomorrow or what we have not yet completed, that we might be present to you in the ways you are present to us by the power of your word. Speak to us, O oh God, for your servants are listening. This we pray in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about sabbatical. Uh, one really funny story. So my first week of sabbatical, I decided to go ahead and stay in Raleigh because I needed to kind of get my life together, run errands, do all the things that I had not done for the last year and a half of my life. I mean, friends, it was a hot mess of a situation, and I just needed to turn the hot mess into a mess. Uh, and so I decided to kind of stay um, this day in Raleigh. Well, on the Wednesday of um, the first week of sabbatical, I decided to go to the um, Whole Foods uh, in North Raleigh. And y'all... I spent about two hours altogether, only bought sparkling water, but two um, hours I spent in Whole Foods. And as I was walking around Whole Foods, I was like, oh my gosh, has Whole Foods always been this bright and cheery? Lord have mercy, this place is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I was like the black Mary Tyler Moore going up and down the aisles, you know, like singing songs. No lie, three different times there were folks from Whole Foods who actually like would ask me, like, ma'am, are you okay? And I'm like, I am so great. I did not know the goodness of the land of the living of the hot bar. This is great. I mean, I was just talking to folks. Hey, girl, yeah, get the mac and cheese with the cauliflower on the top. I mean, I was just in a, I was in a place. And as is the case with Lisa Yaboa, I had a moment, a moment of realization. It hit me that Whole Foods had not changed. I know Whole Foods really well. Whole Foods had not changed. But for the first time in probably in a year and a half, I finally felt this like freedom to see, this freedom to be, this freedom to breathe, to scoop up the collard greens and decide I don't want the collard greens and put them back and keep on walking. I had been uh, in a way for the past year and a half where I was kind of going through the motions with pockets of joy here and there, just trying to get by, putting on a face, um, you know, showing up when I needed to show up, eking out work. And there in that Whole Foods on a Wednesday, I realized that something, that something that had been missing, but you know how it is, how you don't know that something's missing until you recognize that it's missing. And that's how it is with life sometimes. Sometimes you don't realize that you're not living until you realize you're not living. Sometimes you realize you're not working until you realize you're not working. Sometimes you realize you're not really loving until you realize you're not loving. Sometimes you realize you're not really all that compassionate until you realize you're just not all that compassionate. Sometimes you realize that there is something missing when you realize that something is missing. Well, I'm just going to get to the point real quick so that if you want to fall asleep for the next 10 minutes, you are more than welcome to do that. Jesus always recognizes when something is missing. 
In fact, Jesus is the one who names himself as uh, that, uh, this person who comes into our lives to fill in the gaps of the places that um, just feel void and empty and unfulfilled, where we do not feel satisfaction or contentment. Jesus says, I come to be the one who fills in the gap of your lives. And Jesus always interrogates our lives when there's something that is missing. Not out of a means of reprimand, but actually as a means to say, and it's actually available to you. Don't settle. Don't settle for good when you can actually have great. So let me tell you a little bit about Jesus, Maradada, who met me at the Whole Foods on a Wednesday. In the first chapter of John's gospel, this is the same gospel that we are reading from, in the first chapter of John's gospel, um, the gospel writer describes Jesus as the word who becomes flesh, and as Eugene Peterson says in this translation of the, of the message, who becomes flesh and blood and moves into the neighborhood. And this understanding of Jesus as the incarnate God, God who is like, um, who comes to us in human flesh to show us the glory of our own possibilities, all that we can be and all that we can do, comes into the world because something is missing, in essence. And Jesus comes, not to condemn the world, but Jesus comes to love the world whole and to give us a reflection of knowing that Jesus' arms are always open uh, wide for us to come and to know this life that is really life so that we don't go through these days, everyday, ordinary breathing days, believing that this is it. So, um, in fact, in John chapter 4, which is also in this same, uh, in this same uh, book of the Bible, it says that um, Jesus meets this woman at a well, and she you know, is trying to avoid people who have not been like, so kind to her. So she comes to, to get uh, water from the well at the, like, the height of when the sun would be in the sky, which is not when typically people would come. Uh, she's trying to hide from folks. And when she encounters Jesus, when she's going to get water from the well, Jesus says something really lovely to her. He says to this woman, you know what? This uh, water that you're going to draw from the well, you're gonna drink it, you're going to spill it, you're gonna do whatever with it, and it's going to one day go away. It's a good gift. But I'm like um, a well that will never run dry. I'm like water that um, always amplifies your life. Jesus, over and over again, and we'll talk about this over the course of the weeks, comes in particular ways um, to say, yeah, what you're doing might be good, but what I might invite you into can look great. So now in the passage of scripture that I read earlier for us, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and those who... Um, who might become followers of Jesus. And he uses this a beautiful analogy to say like, I am like, I'm like a shepherd and the sheep hear my voice and I take care of the sheep. And I have come that you might have life, comma, life more abundantly. Now, what is really interesting about Jesus saying to um, these Pharisees that, hey, listen, um, I have come into this world so that you might have life. In fact, you might have life to the full, is that Jesus isn't talking to dead people. Jesus is talking to people who are alive. You all are looking at me like, mm-hmm, Lisa. I'm trying to make a point here. How odd is it that Jesus is looking at the Pharisees who are alive and who can hear him, and says to them, listen, I have come that you might have life, and they're probably like, uh, hashtag, we, we're about that life, we're already living, Jesus, that you might have life and life more abundantly. Except the fact is that what have I said in the beginning, that Jesus always comes to interrogate our lives and maybe to point out what is missing. So when Jesus is saying, I have come that you may have life, he's basically saying what you think you're doing 
This isn't the best that it could actually get. And in fact, because I come to meet you in the places of the gap, to meet you in the places of your bottom, to meet you in the places of your valley, to meet you in your places where you don't feel content, to meet you in the places that are just kind of like good, I amplify whatever you think you're doing and you can actually have it abundantly. Jesus is trying to invite the, the Pharisees into knowing that, oh, there's actually more than just living by the letter of the law and jumping through these holy moral hoops. That's not, this, that's not the measure of life, but you can actually have something more. And that this more is attached to the way in which Jesus invites us into life. Because this is what um, you might know to be true that I know to be true is that we can go through this life alive, but not really living. We can be like the walking dead, like socially appropriate zombies, waking up and going to sleep, waking up and going to sleep. What we call peace is really just narcotizing our pain. What we call praise is just blowing smoke. What we call productivity is just tyranny of busyness. What we call love is just really lust. What we call joy is just trying to put on. What we call life is manufactured. What we call life is trying to like get through. What we call life is just eking it out. What we call life just might be existing. What we call life might be trying to just get by. Jesus says, no. That's not all there is to your waking, breathing, sleeping moments. You can have life, and you can have it to the full. That Jesus becomes this incarnate um, invitation for us to be fully alive. Now, you might be like, okay, Lisa, that's really great. So what? You know what? So that when it's not all said and done, and we count the measure of our days, we just think that they went by and we never actually got to taste and see that this life can be filled to the brim with peace. So what? So that at our last days, we might know that actually we can be a conduit for justice and of peace and of compassion and goodness. So what? So that we can be vessels of love who love people whole and who also know what it is to be loved whole. So what? So that our work might be so beautiful that it brings the kingdom of heaven a little closer to earth and the ways in which you give your life over to others. So what? That your relationships are actually so beautiful that they seem like the template of God's glory for the ways in which God loves God's people. So what? So that your days, whether the dash, whether the dash be filled with quantity, quality, or quantity of days, that you will always know that those days were filled with that which was quality. So what? So that when people actually encounter you, that you might not come as a living form of reprimand, but that people might actually begin to see, oh, no, no, that's what joy looks like. That's what love looks like. That's what peace looks like. 
and I want to have it too. So what? Because God delights when we really live. The glory of God is not to see us jump through holy hoops. The glory of God is for you to be fully alive. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you and we praise you for your invitations that are so beautiful, that are compelling, for your invitations that don't break us, but that they build us up, your invitations that always call us into more, not just into that which is good, but into a life that is great. That we don't have to hold on to false peace or false hope, or false mercy, or false grace. But instead, we might be able to experience it fully. So whether we're able to really um, hear that invitation that you have come, so that the measures of our days might be filled to the brim with abundant life, we might just take the first step today to confess to you what feels like it's missing. That this might be the day that we're like, God, this is the thing that feels like it is taking away every ounce of strength. God, this is the thing that makes me feel so insignificant and small. God, this is the place in my life where I am so anxious I don't know what to do with myself. that we might recognize in this moment what's missing. Because we want to trust that you fill in the gaps. That we don't have to go through life like socially appropriate zombies. But that your glory might be made known in us as we come fully alive, alive to joy, alive to peace, alive to hope, alive to love, alive to our own lives. You say you are resurrection and that you are life. Might you show us so that we might show the world that we look like you too. We ask this. In your strong name, amen.